Well, great to see you out second service today, and yeah, we're so glad to have you be a part. Uh, how many of you are already totally ready for Christmas and you have all your gifts bought? Okay. Uh, how many of you are partway? You got some of it done, some of it's done. All right. How many of you have nothing done so far? Okay. There's a fourth category. I don't know if we should really bring it up. How many of you are planning not to do anything? You're Scrooge, okay? Bah humbug. Good to see you out. Uh, so, so good to welcome you back to our series Christmas Peace. And so far we have looked at the ancient promises that uh, have been given about the Messiah and how they were fulfilled in Jesus. We have also seen the present peace that is given to believers through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And uh, today we're headed to Romans chapter 5, where we're going to look at the basics of peace with God. The only way that human beings can have peace with God is to be made righteous, which we can't do on our own. We can only be made righteous through believing in Jesus. The theological term for this is justification. And it's only through justification that we can have peace with God. The explanation of peace with God never gets old to those who have faith in Jesus. And if you've experienced peace with God, your soul will never tire of hearing this good news. So let's go to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to read there Paul's explanation of justification to the Roman believers in the first century. In Romans chapter 5, the notes are in your bulletin this morning, if you'd like to follow along with us. Looking forward to... Uh, our Christmas offering next Sunday. Uh, we're going to have it Sunday morning and Sunday night. Uh, and you'll be praying about what God wants you to do. Uh, everything that comes in this year is going to an orphanage in Uganda, uh, led by one of our missionaries, Pastor Keith Stensis. And so we're looking forward to seeing them next month. And it's good to have our son Dawson home uh, from college. And he got home a couple days ago. And he gets to go with me to Uganda on that trip. And so be praying for, for us and, and for our ministry there. Uh, but let's get into Romans chapter 5 this morning. Therefore, being justified by faith. So there's that word justified. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you like to take notes in your Bible or, or highlight on your screen... Uh, that phrase, peace with God, is a very rare phrase in the scriptures. Peace with God. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, 
When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more of being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And we're going to get into this passage a little bit this morning. Uh, it's a Christmas message, a uh, message of Christmas peace and hope and peace with God. Uh, but we've got to go a little bit deep into our theology today. And so I'm going to try to keep the cookies on the bottom shelf. And how many like Christmas cookies? Okay, so we're going to try to keep them right on the bottom shelf for you today so that you can get them and partake together with us. Uh, I want you to start in your mind in the message today. I want you to picture a criminal, and not just any, any criminal, uh, not just a speed limit breaker. I want you to picture the worst criminal you can think of. Uh, maybe it's a murderer. Maybe someone uh, who's been a dictator, who's committed a hate crime. Uh, maybe it's a child molester. Whatever you think of when you think of the worst criminal, what would it be like in your mind if that criminal, for absolutely no goodness of his own, no merit that he could present, was completely pardoned and invited to come and have a meal with the king? Now, that's the question of our message today because we have to ask it about ourselves. How is it possible that the worst criminal can be unexplainably pardoned and given direct access to the king. And so we're going to see it in four parts this morning. And as I mentioned, the notes are in your bulletin. So let's start by talking about the criminal affidavit. And we're going to talk about this term because it's a legal term that means a written statement used as evidence before a judge. And so we're going to talk about uh, this written statement that's been given uh, that is going to be evidence against all of us because we're human beings. And if you go back a couple pages to Romans chapter 3, I want you to see the general part of this affidavit. Uh, and this part is a part that I share with you and that you share with every other member of the human race. We all fit into this category, and this general statement is about all of us. So Romans chapter 3, and starting in verse number 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, and no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. That means an open grave. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps, or poisonous snakes, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. How many of you have ever found yourself saying something that surprised even you? Okay, you're like, where did that come from? How did that come out of my mouth? Right, you know, some of you are innocent. You've never said a naughty word. I can see out there in this morning. Either that or you've already fallen asleep. Um, we all sometimes say things that we really want to take back. Right? It's like, wow, I can't believe I said that. 
I, I thought it, but I didn't really want it to come out of my mouth. And uh, then we got verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. And look at this last part of verse 19. This is so important. That every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. There's that word in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So, so here's the deal. Keeping the law doesn't make us to be at peace with God. Uh, keeping the law doesn't bring us closer to God. Uh, keeping the law doesn't justify us. <laughs> in fact, the law is what tells us we're sinners. The law is what stops every mouth on the planet from proclaiming our own goodness and proves us to be guilty before God. Verse 23 goes on to say that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Later in the New Testament, that James says that we can keep the whole law, but if we break even one part of it, we're guilty of breaking it all. And when we consider the charges that have been made against us, and we could quickly see that we are completely guilty before the righteous judge with no human way of escape. That is the general part of the statement against us. You know why a lot of people struggle with this is because when they think of righteousness and unrighteousness, they compare themselves to other people instead of to a holy, righteous God, right? And so they look around, and they find somebody who's worse than they are, and they say, well, I'm not really bad compared to Joe, right? Oh, there's a guy, Joe, here today. Sorry, Joe. I don't know how that happened. Uh, I, I'm not really a bad person uh, compared to Betty, right? Oh, we have a Betty, too, right? <laughs> so <coughs> we, we kind of gauge our righteousness on whether or not we're better than other people. But that's not how God looks at it. God looks at it with a comparison to his complete, unwavering holiness. And if you are not completely holy like God, then you are a sinner. And Solomon told us in Ecclesiastes 12 that God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And, and the things that people think they have hidden from God will someday be revealed and judged. And to understand this, uh, we have to talk not just about the general crimes that we've done. We need to talk about some specific crimes and, uh, and so let's go and let's look at our rap sheet here in Revelation chapter 12. Not Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 20. Okay, Revelation chapter 20. And uh, when you get to Revelation 20, uh, here's what you have to know about this passage. God is keeping the books, and he's keeping the books on all of us. And there's a book on you today. All right, there is a book on you, and it has everything you've ever done in it. Revelation chapter 20, 
Verse number 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And so God is keeping the books on us. You remember that time when you lied to your teacher? You said, teacher, can I use the hall pass because I need to go to the restroom? But you didn't really go to the restroom. You went to the office and grabbed a candy cane off the lobby desk. You remember when that happened? Yeah, some of you were like, yeah, I remember that. Um, there, there's a book on all of us, and, and every one of our sins is in it. Now, now, think about this. You don't ever have to take your child, your two-year-old, and, and sit him down in their high chair and say, okay, listen, Dawson, here's the deal. Um, we're going to teach you today how to say no, Okay. You don't ever have to do that. Why? Because your kids start saying no before you can ever figure out how they learn to say it. Right? And, and uh, all of a sudden, you tell your kid they're 18 months old, and you say, okay, eat your peas. Right? And what do you get back? No. Right? What else do you get back? A pea in your face because they throw it at you. That's what kids do. You don't ever have to send your class, your kid to a class, a class 101 of lying or a class 101 of stealing. You don't ever have to teach your kid how to sin because we all naturally sin. And these are kept in the book. And you remember uh, when you stole that candy at the drugstore in 1976 in Springfield, Missouri at the Ben Franklin on Kearney Boulevard. That was me. <laughs> I wasn't indicting anyone else on that one. It happened to me. And, and my mother uh, happened to look in the back seat, and we didn't have car seats and booster seats back then. We didn't even wear seat belts. Sorry, kids. Um, and she looked back, and I was squirming all over the back seat, and I had gum in my mouth, and she said, where did you get gum? And the Elf movie wasn't around yet, so I didn't know that you could just take it off of rails and eat it. Um, and so I, I kind of sheepishly showed her the, the wrapper in my pocket, and it was one of the penny gums that they had there at the Ben Franklin store. She took me in the store and found the manager and made me tell the manager that I stole gum. That's brutal, right? That's a hard thing. Uh, that's in the book. And you, you remember that time when you cheated on that test. And when you told your spouse a half-truth. And when you cheated just a little on your taxes. Uh, when you used another person to your own advantage. When you were covetous. When you used God's name in vain. That time when you hit your finger with a hammer. Uh, when you failed to help the needy. And this is not to mention the things you did when no one was looking. Uh, the book on you doesn't just have every action you've ever done. It also has every thought you have ever thought. And every motive you've ever had inside of your heart. And, and here's the way it works. This is the way the righteous, unrighteous system works. Okay? 
If you want to achieve peace with God, justification, peace with God, uh, through your own works, there can be absolutely nothing in the book on you. Not one single crime, not one mark against you. The book on you has to be completely empty. And who's able to stand before God with no sin in the book? None of us. Uh, The criminal affidavit is airtight against us. It's impenetrable. God is the judge. He will enforce it. There's no wiggle room for any of us. Uh, We're all condemned because of our sin. No one's exempt. Social status doesn't matter. Race doesn't matter. Religion doesn't matter. So what are the consequences of this affidavit, this condemnation on us? Let's look at the second part, the conditions assigned. The conditions assigned. It's pretty simple to understand. Uh, Any crime against God is a capital crime. All sinners receive the death penalty. Every single uh, sinner receives the death penalty. And once again, it's hard for us to absorb because we compare ourselves with other people instead of against God's righteousness. And we say, I don't deserve death, but that guy does. I don't deserve death, but she does. Because you know what she said about me on Facebook? And you know what she posted the other day? She should die. And and so we want other people to die. Uh, We want them to get the death penalty. But we don't compare ourselves against the holiness of God. And, And here's the thing about the death penalty for sin. You don't have to like it. You don't even have to believe it. But it's still true. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Eternal death. Complete and utter separation from God. That's what the criminal has been sentenced to endure. Uh, The sentence has been handed down and we're helpless to alter it. We are a death row waiting for the judge to give the order. And uh, there's no appeal process Guilty is guilty. Condemned is condemned. You're in Revelation 20. Look at verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If your name isn't in the book of life, you will experience eternal death. And I have to tell you that eternal death, according to the scriptures, is not annihilation. Okay? Uh, The highest ideal in Hinduism, Buddhism, kind of the Eastern religions, is annihilation. That's what they're shooting for. They call it nirvana, which nirvana is kind of cool sounding words. Like, whoa, I'm living for nirvana, man. And it means annihilation, right? So, how many of you are living to be annihilated? Kind of creepy, actually, but, uh, but hell or the lake of fire or the second death in Scripture, it's not annihilation. Jesus said that hell is a place of constant awareness. It's also a place of constant torment and flame, darkness, worms that never die. Uh, but the worst thing of all is complete and utter separation from God. And and once again, 
Uh, you don't have to believe any of this to experience it. You don't have to. Uh, can you imagine, you, know, you go down to death row in any state pen in the United States, and uh, what do you think the percentages are on death row of the guys uh, who you walk by and say, hey, have you agreed to be executed? Right? Do you agree that you committed a capital crime? How many of you, you think will raise their hand and say, yeah, execute me right now? They don't agree. They appeal. And then they appeal again. And then they appeal again. And then they appeal again. Until the day that the sentence actually comes to pass. Uh, you don't have to agree with the capital crime for it to be so. And, uh, and I know that you are, are a very logical person and you have a high intellect. And if you were God, you would have done it a different way and you wouldn't let anyone go to hell. But here's the thing, you're not God. God is so much higher than us that we can't even begin to comprehend him. God is completely righteous and he cannot abide with unrighteousness, and not because he's mean, but because he's holy. And, and I'm unrighteous, and you're unrighteous. And, and if you die with your name not in the book of life, this will happen. God guarantees it. And so far in the message, I've given you the bad news. Uh, this is the news of the law. This is the news of works-based religion. You're not good enough to have eternal life. And you're never going to be good enough. But now I want to switch gears and we're going to get to the good news section of the message, right? So bad news done, good news coming. Let's talk about the change agent. The change agent. And I need you to go back to Romans chapter 5 because we're going to investigate uh, some of these middle verses in our passage just a little more. And I think that these three verses that we're about to read are some of the most powerful verses anywhere in Scripture uh, that talk about what Jesus has actually done for us, right? I want you to think about all the people in your life right now, okay? Some of you have kids, some of you have a spouse. You don't have to raise your hand on this one. I do some hand-raising stuff. This is not a hand-raising one because I don't want to, like, embarrass you if you don't feel this way. Uh, think about in your mind right now, don't raise your hand. How many of you, if life was on the line, you'd die for your spouse, right? You'd die for your spouse. Uh, you'd die for your kids, right? You'd die for your accountant. You'd die for your lawyer, right? You'd die for your banker. You'd die for your critics. You would die for your enemies. You would die for people who have committed horrible crimes against humanity. See, this is what this passage we're about to read is all about. Like, if you get, the further you go out, it's like, okay, I'm a decent guy. If my wife's about to be killed, yeah, I'll step in front of the bullet for, if possible. Okay? I mean, I'm not going to go you know, well, you know what I'm saying, but <coughs> I do everything I can, right? If one of my kids is about to be killed and I can do something to get in the way, I'm going to do something, right? 
Uh, and it's, but as it goes out further, it's like, eh, I don't know if I'd die for that guy or not. Right? He's a decent guy, but I'm not sure about him. That lady at Walmart who just took my parking space, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't die for her. Right? The person who just took money out of the Salvation Army kettle, not dying for him. Right? But, but Jesus, this is the ultimate sacrifice. Here's why it's so powerful. So Romans 5, 6. Now we read it earlier. Let's read it under this new mind frame. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died. Who'd he die for? For the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, so Jesus, the sacrifice described by these words, changes everything for the criminal. It changes everything for me as I was under condemnation. It changes everything for you when you're headed to eternal death. Because we now have a path out of eternal death. There are a million paths into hell. There's no human path out. But there is the path of Jesus. And Jesus is the only way. He's the only path out of hell. We have a singular path to peace with God. There is a path, but it's only one path. Uh, did you ever do the Sunday school song when you were a kid? One door and only one. Yeah, the sides are two. I'm on the inside. Which side are you? Do you guys remember that one? That's old school. Nobody remember? How many? Anybody know that song? Thank you, Pam. You have just validated my childhood because everybody else is like, he's crazy. <laughs> one door and only one, and yet it's sides are two. I'm on the inside, and which side are you? What it's saying is Jesus is the door. He is the peace. And he tells us up front in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If there are alternate paths that people try to take to get peace with God, but they never get you to God. They only get you to eternal death. None of them wipe out the books against you. There is no church on the planet that can wipe out the books against you. There's not one. It doesn't matter what it is. Presbyterian, Catholic, Baptist, Church of Christ, there's no church that wipes out the book on you. Not one. Now, back in the, the 1500s, just a little over 500 years ago, a monk nailed a, this document to the door at a church in Germany, and it was called the 95 Theses. And what he was all fired up about, his name was Martin Luther, what he was fired up about is that the Pope had, had done this fundraising deal uh, so he could build this new uh, cathedral. And the fundraising deal uh, had the, this thing called the selling of indulgences. And what it meant is that you could kind of go through your year and you could do whatever sort of you want to do. And then at the end of the year, you just come in and bring a bag of money and you pay off your sin. 
right? And so it was this great thing for criminals because uh, they could do whatever they want and they just come in with the money and here you go, right? Pay it off. The selling of indulgences. And, and Luther said, that's not right. It's not true. We can only be saved by grace. And he quoted Habakkuk 2.4 and, and Romans chapter 1. And, and yet, there are so many forms of that that have happened in world history. And, and so many traditions where people think that if I get baptized, it'll wipe out the book on me. <coughs> no, that's not what it says. Uh, if I uh, help people who are poor, it'll wipe out the book on me. It'll erase my sins. But it doesn't erase the sins on you. And being a so-called good person doesn't erase the book against you. Uh, having your good outweigh your bad doesn't erase the book against you. There is no human action that erases the book against you. And every religion on earth teaches some type of path or tradition to absolve your sins. But none of them actually have a real path to do it. There are people today uh, who woke up at about 4 o'clock in the morning all over in India and in northern India and China, and they woke up so they could go and take items and put them down in a Hindu temple because they think that somehow it's going to absolve them of their sins. And there are people who went to, to a ceremony yesterday in parts of the world to do a thing called baptism for the dead uh, because they're so worried that their ancestors may not have been caught up to the third heaven. And, and yet scripture says that's not the way. There's no path to atonement but Jesus Christ. Colossians 2 says it this way. And I think this is one of the most powerful statements anywhere. It says that Jesus blots out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Jesus is the change agent. He changed everything. And through him and him alone, guilty becomes not guilty. Condemned becomes not condemned. Eternal death becomes eternal life. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So there you are on death row awaiting the order of execution. And you hear that someone has died in your place. And if you'll accept his sacrifice to atone for your crimes, they'll wipe the book out on you. You'll be fully pardoned. <laughs> and you have a choice. You can either accept this incredible gift of grace or you can reject it and suffer the sentence already given. And I said this before. I just want to mention it again. It's so important. Condemnation does not require your belief. Condemnation doesn't require your participation. In fact, you're condemned already, Jesus said in John 3. All you have to do to gain eternal death is nothing. Right? You're already condemned. To gain eternal death, all you got to do is keep going down the road you're on. 
But justification does require your participation. It does require faith. It does require acceptance. It does require repentance. You have to turn from your approach to the way of Jesus. He's the only redemption. He's the only substitution. He's the only atonement. He's the only gift of grace. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're reconciled to God by the death of his son. Jesus and his blood is the only way to wipe out the book against you. When I was about eighth grade, uh, we had a fundraiser at school. And, um, <coughs> and I earned this trip. And we lived in Oklahoma. And I earned this trip to go to California, to Disneyland and the sea world and like an angels game and all this cool stuff and and so a bunch of other kids won and we got on this over the road bus and this had to have been like uh, i want to say 1984 85 somewhere around there and we got on this over the road bus and what we did not know because we were only like 13 14 years old is that the bus was much older than we were and and so uh, we took this bus and we drove all the way uh, across western Oklahoma through the panhandle of Texas and New Mexico and Arizona and we got into the, the California desert, the Mojave Desert and in the middle of the night about 60 miles outside of Barstow the engine blew up on the bus and, and so there we are in the middle of the desert uh, in the middle of the night and uh, our bus blew up and so there were no cell phones back then. There were barely even pagers back then. And, and I know some of you kids just, I lost you. Like, so who'd you call? We didn't call anybody because they didn't have them. And, and so they had to wait. They flagged down this guy. They took him to the truck stop. And they called. Well, uh, it took like hours. But they finally got a hold of this pastor in Barstow. And he brought this old bus out. You know, isn't it weird that Baptist churches always have old buses? But um, he brought this bus out and picked us up, took us into Barstow to this truck stop. And uh, so here are all these kids, bus full of kids who, you know, Disneyland, SeaWorld, Angels Game, really cool stuff. And now we're hanging at a truck stop indefinitely, right? And, and I could tell you more about the trip later, but... Uh, I discovered this thing at that truck stop that was life-changing. I'm walking down the aisle, just looking through the knickknacks, looking through cool stuff, and I saw this bottle, and for I don't know why I had missed this, because some of you already knew about this. Like, this was on your radar re really early. I was in eighth grade, and I had missed this, right? It's crazy how I had missed it. I guess I should tell you what it is, right? Um, I had missed invisible ink. I didn't know about it. It wasn't on my radar, and I took up the package, and I'm like, whoa, invisible ink. And you could actually squirt this on people and watch them, like, freak out, and then it would go away. Well, we had this tour leader named Wayne Porter. And, and Wayne, he was always a real button-down, a former Army guy, just in your face, and he's one of the leaders in the group, and he'd been up all night, of course, with the breakdown, and he's the one that had been carted at the truck stop. And so not really having the sensitivity that I probably should have had as an eighth grade boy, uh, I took my freshly bought 
bottle of invisible ink. And I went into the restaurant part of the truck stop, and I found Wayne. And he's sitting with the other adults. And as I walked by, I acted like I tripped. At the same time, I squeezed my new bottle of invisible ink, and he had a white shirt on. And all of a sudden, ink all the way down his shirt. And I still remember the look on his face. And I still remember the horror of that look because it was this look like, you're about to die. <laughs> like, right? Uh, the bus blew up. I've been up all night. Uh, I've been out in the desert. Uh, and now I'm at a truck stop and everything's ruined. And you just shot ink all over my shirt. And so as he got up to come after me, I looked back. And in my prepubescent, pre I can't even say it, my voice before I had, you know, gone through the change. In, in that voice, <laughs> in that voice, I said, look, there's nothing on your shirt. <laughs> and he looked down, and sure enough, there's nothing on his shirt. A miracle had been performed at a truck stop in Barstow, California, and my life was saved. <laughs> now, Here's the deal. Only Jesus could take the book against me and the book against you and wipe it out. And he did. He's the change agent. Now let's finish today by talking about the completed agreement. Because the change agent's work now gives us a new contract with God. Before we had this affidavit of criminality where it showed, boy, we're condemned. Now the change agent has come. And we who are clearly criminals with absolute consequences for our crimes have had our place taken by Jesus. And as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him to become sin for us. Jesus, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And when we're saved by the life of Jesus, not only is our eternal sentence erased, but we also gain access to the joy and the hope that only comes with eternal life. We'll look at the Romans 5 passage again in a second. I want you to think about this. Before salvation, thinking about God cannot bring hope. Because before you're saved, uh, when you think of God, you think of him as a judge. And, and you really don't get who he is. But after salvation, when you think about God, it brings you hope and joy and peace. And we find he's the giver of all things. He's the love for our relationships. He's the light for our pathways. He's the glory through all the works of creation. In summary today, as we finish out, I want to show you in this passage that we've covered the seven results of justification. And we'll hit them quickly. And if you want to write them down, you can. The seven results of justification, they're right here from the Romans 5 passage. And you can follow through with me and underline them in your Bible or however you want to do it. Verse 1, peace with God. And we've talked about this the whole message. Peace with God. Before we're saved, we're enemies of God. One great benefit of salvation is that God will never again view us as enemies. He'll never view us as enemies. Verse 2, access into grace. 
And grace is so wonderful that it's difficult to even define. Uh, one guy made up an acrostic for grace. And he said, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Another way to say it is all the good things God wants to give his children. We don't deserve them, but he wants to give it to us. And we have access to this grace by faith in Jesus. Uh, the third one, verse 2. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Every day on this earth is not going to be a mountaintop experience. But whatever we endure here can be viewed through the promise of heaven and the glory we'll experience in the presence of God. Verse 3, look at this one. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. That's the next one. Glory in tribulations. Because of justification, we get to be some of the really weird people on the planet who glory in tribulations. Right? It doesn't make any sense. And other people look at us like, you're so weird. You're excited because your car broke down? Right? You said, I'm so blessed because God gave me a flat tire? You just said, thank God that my child has been sick because it brought me closer to God. Did you hear the words that came out of your mouth? Nobody in the history ever has said that. You said that. Why do we say that? Because we glory in tribulations. Knowing this, knowing this, as children of God, we become closer to our Father in tribulations than at any other time. On the mountaintop, you don't become close to the Father. But in the valley, in the trouble, in the trial, during the test, that's when your relationship with God is solidified. That's when you know how much you need him. And that's when you lean on him. And so we glory in tribulations. Because we know that tribulation works patience. And patience yields experience. And experience uh, gives us hope in Jesus. And we're not ashamed to be called his children. He's God and he's good all the time. Uh, down to verse 9. Let's see a few more of these as we finish up. Verse 9 we will be saved from wrath. We'll be saved from wrath. Unsaved sinners are living under the wrath of God and the sure judgment of eternal death. But saved sinners will never face the wrath of God. Here's the only difference between unsaved sinners and saved sinners. Jesus. There's absolutely no difference between us and other people except that we have Jesus in our lives. And that changes everything. And because of that, we're saved from wrath. Verse 11, we joy in God. That's what it says. We, we also joy in God. Uh, I said a minute ago, the enemies of God, they don't get any joy thinking about God. Because to him, that God represents judgment, not joy. When they think of God, their thoughts are accompanied by guilt or conviction or even horror. And, and we get to look at God through the lens of love and redemption. And if you're saved and you're still looking at God through the lens of judgment, then it's because there's something in your background. Maybe the church where you grew up or the home you grew up in or some tradition you grew up under 
and that made you think that God is up in heaven with the chalkboard right now with your name and he's keeping score on you. God's not keeping score on you. He either sees you as a sinner or he sees you as covered by the blood of his son. You're either unrighteous with a book against you or you are made righteous through the blood of the crucified one. And so this is so important that we joy in God. But then here's this last one. We have received the atonement. That's what it says, verse number 11. By whom we have now received the atonement. The blood of Jesus has mediated peace between God and man. And his blood has made us righteous in the sight of God. Now let's take this big word atonement. And you guys help me out, okay? Now we're going to do a little spelling bee. Okay, so shout it out with me. We're going to spell the word atonement. All right, now this is going to be hard. And if you're not confident, it's okay. Uh, just shout it out. Here we go. So we're going to atonement. A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T. Atonement. Let's do this little third grade exercise with that word. We just spelled out. Atonement. We're going to break it into three parts. Okay, here we go. At one meant. Through Jesus, we are at one meant with God. That's what atonement is. Jesus has made us to be at peace with God. He's made us at one with God. And if you ever hear somebody who's religious talk about atonement, you always got to ask them, well, what does atonement mean? Because if atonement means that I got to keep going to your church and I have to be baptized a certain way and I have to do everything I can do, that's not atonement. Atonement is Jesus hung on a wooden cross and shed his blood and it's finished. It's done. I don't have to do anymore. It's done. I am at one with God. And so, that's the good news. We've received the atonement. We've been made at one with God. And from now on, uh, when you think of atonement, you think of at one meant. Let me give you another simple one as we finish up. And this is from another guy. Uh, it is, but I've heard this since I was a kid. When you hear the word justification, okay, uh, I hope you won't think from now on, because it's in the Bible a lot, I hope you won't think it's some stuffy theological word that can't be understood. Because justification is the essence of our peace with God. And here's how one guy said it. He said, justification is when God looks at me just as if I'd never sinned. That's what justification is. God looks at me just as if I'd never sinned. He looks at me as a new creature covered by Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. Yeah, we've been changed from unrighteous to righteous by the change agent. Jesus coming into the world is important, right? The carols and the gifts and the holly and the tinsel and the Noel and all that stuff, that's really neat. But Christmas is only complete when his love is shed abroad upon our hearts. And peace with God is a justified faith. And if you're not at peace with God today, 
I hope you'll talk to one of us before you leave uh, so that you can know what God says brings peace in that relationship. Let's pray together. <coughs> God, I thank